Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. And welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine, here. I am here today with our guest, Irvin. Welcome to the podcast, Irvin. Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to get into this conversation. So just so I can brag on you a little bit, Irvin is a current MSW candidate at Florida State University. He is a full-time nonprofit worker a returned Peace Corps volunteer and AmeriCorps alumni. Irvin currently interns at Covenant House, Georgia, which is a youth homeless shelter. That is amazing. How are you enjoying the program and your internship so far? I love my program, uh, Florida State's program for their online MSW. It was actually the first ever in the country. So they're very well established into the part-time MSW. So what that entails is two classes a semester, completely online via Canvas. That's our platform. And it's an east it's in an asynchronous format. It is exhausting and it takes a lot of time management skills, balancing the internship, balancing my full-time job, balancing a social life, and then balancing my psychopathology class, which I'm taking right now. It definitely is a bowl of a lot of things, but I enjoy every second of it and I'm constantly learning and growing and it's been a major blessing. That's awesome. Yeah. And that is one thing about that I noticed as a difference going into my master's in social work is that yes, it's exhausting because I was also working full time, going to school part time and trying to balance all of the different responsibilities that we have. But with that said, Classes were so interesting. I just loved going to class and uh, and learning all of the material. Even the assignments that we had, for the most part, were super interesting. So even though it was a lot of work, it's work that I actually enjoyed doing. And uh, and I know that we talked a little bit offline about how you just enjoy everything that you do. Correct. Yes, I because one we have to have money to live, right? Especially with inflation going on and, you know, the rising cost of living, this housing crisis and the shortage of affordable housing that we have to deal with as social workers. And if we're going to be working constantly, you might as well do, um, you might as well make it sure that you're doing something you love because otherwise it's never going to feel I, like work to you and that's an answer a lot of people give but something that my mentor and undergrad told me was if you enjoy what you do you're going to figure out ways to make the money work and I think what he meant by that was you're going to look for additional opportunities whether that's a side hustle with a podcast whether that's doing telehealth therapy um, or any other side hustle you can possibly think of with with a skill set that you have or a hobby that you can monetize in some way, shape or form. There's so many other options out there and the options are limitless and you just gotta plan it out and just sometimes just dive in and not overthink it so much. 
Definitely. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about our degree as a master's of social work student or graduate eventually, right? Is that there's so many different avenues that we can go into. And today we're going to talk specifically around military social work. Can you fill us in a little bit around what your experience has been like in this area? Awesome. Yes, sure. So I, my relationship with the military goes back a very long time. I grew up, I grew up at a, a place called Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst. It's a military base outside of Trenton, New Jersey. I'm a Jersey native. Um, many of my family members have served in the armed forces. My parents are both Air Force veterans. My mother served four years. My dad served 20 my grandfather served four years in the Navy, and this is not this is not including numerous personal friends. So I want to take this moment to thank all of them for their service, but especially my parents, because going up on a military base for about 17 years definitely shaped a lot of who I am today. And a common question that I would get after I would tell people a lot about my, my uh, military background is why didn't I serve? The short answer is I was medically unable to do so. But as you alluded to in our in, in uh, that wonderful bio you gave me, uh, those different ways to serve our country. And um, I am a pilot, AmeriCorps alumnus, and return Peace Corps volunteer. And I continue to volunteer and give back to local and international communities. Awesome. So I'm wondering when we're talking about military social work, what does that mean? What does that entail? What does that look like? So a what a military social worker does is we work with active duty military service members and their families and veterans and retirees really to help them address and manage social, emotional, psychological, and uh, family challenges. Um, a common, very, a common family challenge that our military members and families can face is definitely in the financial sector because you have one, uh, you know, typically it is the husband who is the uh, working active duty service member. And then you have the mom who is a stay-at-home mom in a lot of cases in this, in this population. And so you only have one source of income. And yes, you have the benefit of living uh on the base so you get free housing and you get other um, benefits to that, but it can be very, very difficult to still live a comfortable quality of life with uh, on just one income. And that's just a common uh, concern that we have to deal with with military families. Other common issues that we see a lot are PTSD that is combat related and not combat related, TBI or trauma, trauma uh, traumatic brain injury. Um, Suicide rates are depression. Uh, unfortunately, military sexual assault is a really big thing on the rise now. Um, and substance abuse and misuse is also another major, major issue within this population specifically. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of areas that I can see social workers definitely fitting into as far as just coming from a whole system, like the whole system perspective, the family system, the emotional and the physical health system, the socialization, and just overall, you know, goal planning, you know, what does it look like? And, um, and the loss of, you know, you're here on the, the lot first, the loss of your previous life of being around your friends and your family. Now you're here, isolated, well, maybe not isolated, but you're in a different community, different environments. 
And then once, once you're moving on from that, what does that look like? What does that look like going forward for you? So there's just so many different areas to really unpack and to be able to support people with. I'm wondering what would a typical day in life look like in this position or this role? So as you uh, as you mentioned, Catherine, um, it would be very similar to really any social worker's role in a non-military setting. Um, our job, just in general, is very, very fluid. No day is the same, and we wear so many hats regardless of the setting and the population that we serve. But a great book uh, would be the, to uh, read would be the uh, Days in the Lives of Social Workers by Linda Grobman. She has mm-hmm. a fourth edition. She has a fifth edition. This book gives the reader great insight into many options with our social work degree, and there are a few chapters in each edition on military social work. Um, And it's a book that allows you to really, like, job shadow 54 different uh, populations and avenues and options with a BSW or MSW degree. And that way you can read those things in those chapters and you can reflect and you can think to yourself, if this was me in this situation, would I enjoy my work looking like this on a day in and day out basis? Right. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS law and ethics exam, the ASWB master's or clinical licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an Introduction to Suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. I'm wondering, in your research, have you found that you have to have an LCSW or are there roles and positions that you can do with a BSW or an MSW? Most, in my research, most of the jobs for the military population would consider what you would have to have at least an MSW. You can have a BSW where you'll be a case manager. That's a very common, uh, you know, position that BSW holders have, and you can work at a nonprofit that helps with the like veterans who are homeless with that credential. But for the most part, especially with the VA, they want LCSWs in or, you know, licensed clinicians. And as you know, as you and I both know, you have to have an MSW credential for that. 
Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I actually got a question from Kay on my Instagram about this particular topic is how would we or somebody with a BSW get started? Or if we don't have any experience in medical social work, I mean, not medical, in military social work, how would we get started? Are there any kind of entry-level positions that you recommend, any kind of trainings or certifications that we might be able to do? Awesome. Yes. So there are a couple, so there's a couple ways you can do, do this. So thank you so much, Kay, for that question. First, you should find mentors and use LinkedIn and people and, and find people with a military uh, background. Ask them if they are interested in doing what's called informational interviews. And what that does is that is it allows you to get a clearer path onto how they got to where they are. So you have a better idea if that's something that you're interested in. And on top of that, we're a very, very, you know, hospitable field and we like helping other people. That's why we do, you know, that's why we're in social work to begin with. So you can also create a network and build a network that way um, with informational interviews. I did a lot of those when I first came back from um, my Peace Corps service and I was preparing for my MSW uh, program. You could also volunteer with military-focused nonprofits get internships in a setting that focuses on a military population. The VA, the Veterans Administration is a big one because they will actually pay you uh, money. And that's a other whole issue in and of itself of internships for social workers not getting um, monetarily compensated. Um, there's all, the NASW also has a program that is called the uh, military service members, veterans, and their families advanced social worker credential, but you would need an MSW for that. Um, it's not currently accepting applications right now, only renewals, um, but I think they have one for BSW as well. So I would encourage anyone to check into that if they're interested in that. And then you could also join the military uh, as a social worker and they could perhaps uh, pay for, your, for you to go back to school for your MSW. Um, you know, the VA is a great option again, because they are the single largest employers of social workers in the U S and you could also just gain experience, maybe not with the military population, because let's, you might be in a rural area. So maybe you can gain experience in a particular, um, topic of concern with our military population, whether that be PTSD, traumatic brain injury, substance abuse disorders, suicide, you mentioned, um, the transition between uh, military into civilian uh, life, that is a huge thing as well. Another huge thing is uh, family uh, bereavement loss, dealing with a, a family member who was unfortunately uh, killed, in a uh, killed in action, or as we call it in the military community, KIA. Um, so those are a couple other of the ways that you can get interested and started with uh, working with our military population. That's amazing. I hope listener that you were taking notes on that because Irvin just gave you a whole slew of ideas and areas that you can research in your own local area as far as how to get started working with this population. And I agree, if you can get experience in any of these areas that he's mentioned, to get a better understanding of what it looks like to have a traumatic brain injury, to uh, to be battling with depression or PTSD or anxiety, grief and loss, all of these different areas are going to very much serve you when you're ready to step into that role 
as a military social worker. So thank you so much, Irvin, for your time and your expertise and sharing of your research. I'm wondering where can we connect with you and learn more about military social work? Awesome, great. So thanks so much, Catherine. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is spelled E-A-R-V-I-N, last name C-A-S-C-I-A-N-O. You'll find me under the Florida State um, uh, education sector on my profile. I'm more than happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn so much more than I used to in the beginning of my career, and it's been monumentally helpful. Um, there was also something that I should mention as well that's called the handbook for military social workers. It's an entire book. It's purple. It's a very, very lengthy, good-sized textbook that has that covers a lot of the um, nooks and crannies and essentials for military social workers to know and people who are interested in military social work to uh, gain uh, more insight and knowledge into. And it is, again, important for me to mention and disclose here that just you do not have to be in the military to work with our military population. You can be a civilian social worker and work with our military population. We use, in social, in social work, we use what's called human first language and our military members are still human first. And that I think that's important to uh, remember. And because uh, sometimes I think people would get a little confused. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't serve in the military, so I'm not entirely comfortable with it, but you are still a human being and you could still provide a safe space for, you know, a service member who really, really needs it and help them and, you know, raise them up. And that's, that's why we do what we do. Yes, yes, definitely. And thank you for making that distinction because I'm sure there's somebody thinking, oh, I've never been in the military, so I'm automatically disqualified, which is a lie. So, um, I love that distinction that we're human first. So thank you so much, Irvin. I really, really appreciate your time and, um, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including clinical essentials for the future therapist and the Pulse Basics for medical social workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com. This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers, and we also provide free resources that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, the boring legal stuff, but very important. The information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is 
solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers Rise.